many people reached out to me, all right, Rach, how do we now get a divorce? How do you deal with this? Um, and that's when I knew that whatever you just mentioned, right, there isn't any out there. When I wanted to get a divorce and I tried Googling for it, I couldn't find any. And it's been like a year since me and my ex-wife have separated and I still don't know how to do it. Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Rachel S.E., an LGBTQ plus advocate from Singapore who is also the founder of Let's Be Heard, an online platform dedicated to supporting queer women. She talks to us about her experience growing up lesbian in a Chindian family and her cause to normalize sexual wellness among queer women. Welcome back to this Pride edition of Proudly Asian. To celebrate Pride Month, we will continue to talk to trailblazers in the LGBTQ community about their personal stories and the work that they do to advance Asian LGBTQ representation around the world. So for this episode, I'm so glad to be welcoming in Rachel, who is joining us all the way from Singapore. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Isabel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you and I can't wait to learn more about your story and the work that you do with Let's Be Heard. But first things first, let me ask you a set of questions that I ask every single guest of mine on Proudly Asian, which is tell us about your background. Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? <laughs> sure, I'll start off by uh, my name is Rachel S.E. I know my name is a bit common. I always have that um, question to me. I'm from Singapore itself. Um, background my heritage um my mom's chinese my dad's indian so that makes me a chindian um here very diverse um in singapore itself so personally what i do um on a professional level i'm actually in the media field um that's on my professional level um creative field and um, on the sidelines i have um let's be heard that's a passion project something that's very very close to my heart um have had let's be heard started for like about two and a half years now um, and Let's Be Heard um, is a platform. It's a queer women's platform, um, I would say. Um, I started this because of uh, my journey towards getting married. I was actually documenting my marriage journey. And um, out of nowhere, I had followers and I had people getting interested to know more about how I'm actually getting married. And on top of that, it's not um, legal to get married here in Singapore. Um, so that's how Leslie had started. It was my own very, like my own personal blog, which then became a platform because I realized that there isn't much, I would say, queer women content that is out there um, on social media, especially. Um, and that's where I started Leslie Heard. So by the name itself, you know, it's called Les Be Heard. So um, pun. Um, and I initially I created that just to share my stories, to share my journey, and then it quickly became more of an educational platform where I create educational 
um, content for the queer women itself. A very good example would be, um, I don't have to be very careful about it, right? Because I am really into sexual health and wellness, and that's something that's not very available um, here in Asia, um, especially in Singapore. So what I've been doing, I've been covering stories like bleeding after um, getting fingered, for example. And is that okay? Um, what do I do after that? Should I worry? When should I see a doctor? Um, what is queefing, for example? So all this kind of educational content are things that I put out. So slowly from stories, and I still share um, stories from all walks of like the, the lesbian culture here in Singapore itself. Um, it's a, I, cre- I want to create a safe space for queer women to share their stories to meet new people, to form a community by like within themselves, just that queer space itself. So recently, um, after the COVID restrictions were over, I started doing more physical events for the queer women to come together, to meet each other, to make new friends, to know that, hey, you're not alone. You have got a community behind you. Let's party together. Um, let's sit down and 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 um, let's go to an event where we have got other queer business owners, for example, there to share their stories, to share their struggles, but most of all to inspire another women. Um, so um, women empowerment has been a huge thing for me as well. But I wanted to focus on the minorities. Wow, that's amazing! It started off as an online platform to tell your own story, and then eventually it becomes a community. So, out of curiosity, of course, a lot of people would think the discussions or like questions that the LGBTQ plus community normally would have is around like visibility, representation, and acceptance, right? But are there any sort of pockets of discussions that outsiders are not aware of? Because, like you mentioned, there could be questions related to sexual health. Like, what are some of the commonly asked questions from your community members? Um, I think there are many younger queer people now. Now, given that social media and this is their platform. So a lot of the questions revolves around coming out about real estate. How much do I need in order for me to move out? How do I come out to my parents? Um, um, relationship advisors. To be honest, like whatever you were mentioning um, earlier on, um, there are many platforms out there already. There are many stories that are covering about that. And this is something that's internationally known. Um, and within the Asian culture, we have a lot of those advisors out there. They are so on social media, blogs. There are a lot of them that are doing that. But to me, I wanted to take a step back. There's one thing that I do um, because it is my personality. I'm a very positive person. So everything that I share um, has to have a, a positive impact, right? Given that I know as much as we hear about all this, we know what's happening, um, we know where we stand as queer people, but I don't want to push that message across. I'm like, I want to share the positive messaging that, hey, we are here now, all right? And to me, that's a fantastic thing. Um so in terms of the common question, to, to just get back to that, I always try to take a positive approach um, to those questions. Uh, those, those are the most common questions, I would, I would say. But like I mentioned again, that I wanted to tap in into more of the taboo topics. And that's why I actually created this um, online talk show. It's called Less Talk, mm. um, where I have guests from all walks of life. It could be even a straight women talking about a very taboo topic, which is sex and women pleasure. 
Um, and those are the kind of topics I want to push out there, something that's more taboo, something that is not already found um, within the Asian culture itself. Yeah, that's right. I'm definitely going to get into a little bit more about like how normalizing these conversations could work given we know how Asian cultures and how nuanced these spaces are later on in the conversation. But I also know that just now you mentioned you grew up in a mixed culture household with Chinese and Indian cultures all existing within the same family. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us about what it was like growing up in a Chindian family for you in Singapore? Sure. Um, my story is a little bit, um, it's going to be very, very different from many others because um, I have I had a very different lifestyle growing up. Um, I was more with my Indian cultured family compared to my mom, uh, my mom's portion um, side of the family because they didn't agree that my mom got married to an Indian. Um, so in terms of my connection to my Chinese heritage, it, it was a little bit um, disconnected, I would say. Um, but it was still there. As I grew up, grew older, things got better. And then I got slowly introduced to that. Um, but my mom never stopped introducing her culture um, to us. And what, what she has done was definitely to, um, I would say now my Indian family celebrates Chinese New Year and we all follow the Chinese traditions, um, for example. Um, but the culture didn't impact me much. Um I am very fortunate that my family is quite open-minded um, and it, it, it helped that I was independent at a very, very young age. Um, so in terms of the impact, um, it didn't really matter to me. I think I got into a stage of self-acceptance at a very young age. I'm a very spiritually connected person um, and that was also not pushed by my parents. Um, like my dad is a Buddhist, my mom is a Christian, my grandma is a Hindu, um, my godparents are Catholics. So I kind of grew up in a culture where everything was fed to me, but thankfully I had my own choice to make um, in terms of this culture. So it's a, I think for me, it's more of a societal thing compared to the family culture. Um, it's just a little bit tough because we're Asians. Uh, I don't think it, it matters whether it's from a Chinese family or um, it's from an Indian family. It's a very Asian culture. So it really didn't matter to me. And a lot of our guests on Proudly Asian who grew up in mixed culture households, they would have experienced some moments where they feel like they don't fit in in either of the culture. Has that happened to you? Has anyone told you that, oh, either you're not Chinese enough or you're not Indian enough? Yep, very much so. Um, I celebrate Deepavali. Um, my Tamil is not very good. I studied Chinese, um, but I'm not very connected with my Chinese family as well. So it's, yes, it is. It's either I'm not Indian enough or I'm not Chinese enough. So I'm just there. At, and what we used to call it here is the mixed breed. I'm just at that stage um, where I'm just a Chindian. Uh, I don't really belong in the Chinese side or neither do I be belong in the Indian culture side. Yeah. Which brings me to ask from a cultural perspective, because your family, like you mentioned, they come from a diverse religious background. There are a lot of religions represented in your family and in your close mm -hmm. circle support network. So what are some of the implications of yourself being lesbian growing up in a family like that? Mm, okay. Um, 
again, I think I'm very blessed in this like in in a, in a way that my family has never pushed religion on me. Um, my family has always been I'm gonna expose you to all these religions, and then your spirituality is your journey, not mine. Um, so I and I'm a very extreme person. So what I did was I did not get too into detail of religion as well. Uh, where I'm more like, I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in all my religions that's been brought forward to me. I, I believe in all the religions. Um, but I never actually let it get, like, impact me in terms of my sexuality because I have, to me, religion means kindness. Um, and that's what I practice, right? Religion means kindness and love. Um, all these things I hear about outside, I don't really care, right? It's about my spiritual belief. It's about how I feel connected to my own religion. Uh, which is quite a few of them, right? Because yeah, I go to the church, I go to the temple. Um, it is about my connection and I'm just really lucky that my family has never put that on me. Um, neither have they ever said that, oh, you can't do A, B, and C. Um, it could also help that my mom passed away when I was, a, when I was really young. Um, I was 11, um, so the Christianity thing didn't, didn't bounce off to me. Um, my dad, on the other hand, um, he's Buddhist, he's, he's very chill. Uh, but I've also, like I mentioned, I kind of grew up by myself at a very, very young age. Um, there were family members when I came out to say that, yeah, um, God don't accept this and that. Um, and that came from an Indian culture. And um, and me being me, I'm a very stubborn person. And um, if I could, I would have been a lawyer, but I'm not. I belong in a creative field, but I kind of just, um, ask them why and then they don't answer so I'm like okay it doesn't matter at the end of the day they're like hey, this is your life you're gonna put the rice bowl on your own plate it's entirely up to you Um, so I didn't really I, I was very blessed in the way that it's also because I was so independent at a very young age that people probably don't feel that they have a hold of me my family didn't feel that they have a hold of me to tell me about this yeah so in that sense, given your family in a way is like very open-minded or even accepting of the choices that you make, right? Does it also reflect the general atmosphere in Singapore, the attitude towards LGBTQ plus community? Did you ever have a hard time coming out to your friends or like colleagues? No, I've always been a very outspoken person and I'm a very strong person. I would say that even when I came out to my friends, um, I'm very particular about my friends. I don't have much friends. And since young, um, friendship has been a huge thing. Friends are family to me. Um, so in terms of me picking my family, um, I really did a good job. They are my friends and my best friends until today. I was very careful with who I picked. Um, and when I came out, because I knew I was gay from a very, very young age. Um so everyone knew me as being bisexual instead of a lesbian when I was way younger. And the reason why I would say bisexual is because it's more accepted in the community, not in the community, in the society, compared to you being like fully gay. Um, so coming out to my friends, no, zero problem. They all knew. <laughs> they all knew because I came out to them as bisexual. And at that time, I think bisexuality was already like, okay. And it also helped that I was I was a woman. Like, I am a woman. And I think women have it slightly easier than the gay men. 
And the other part of your journey is, I know we kind of talked about this before the recording, is that a lot of discussions around the LGBTQ plus community are around the love stories of different LGBTQ couples. They sort of are written or branded as so-called success stories in a way, but very little attention has been on breakups divorces, separation, or in general, just that LGBTQ plus couples do go through ups and downs in their relationships, just like everyone. And yet, I think the general perception or misconception is really like when LGBTQ couple breaks up, people will see it as a failure in the LGBTQ plus community as a whole, rather than the relationship just didn't work out. Because it's like, they might even have that attitude of like, oh, I told you so, like being gay wouldn't work and stuff like that, right? So I know that you have gone through separations and breakups. Can you tell us more about how you cope with that? Sure. Uh, maybe one thing to also push out to that, um, it's not just known within the society. I think the LGBTQ community sees it that way as well. Um, a very good example, I'm separated from my ex-wife. Um, I got married, gone through a separation, and because my marriage was out in the open, um, it was shared with the community itself, I think a lot of people were rooting for me. So the separation did not just come to me with the, between me and my ex-wife it felt like everybody else was breaking up with my ex-wife um in the community um and I was thinking oh how do I put this out there how do I share it with um my followers for example people who are really following our journey um and sadly I actually received messages like I received some pretty nice messages like hey Rach I hope you're all right we're here for you um Thanks for always inspiring us, etc., etc. And then there were a handful of people like, what happened? Can you get back to her? You are the reason why um, you and your, your ex-wife were the reason why you guys gave me hope that that is till the end, right? They get to get married and they get to live happily ever after. And they saw me as that. They saw me and my ex-wife as that. And to me at that point... um. Because I was already so emotional. I'm like, how do people do that? Or how do people say that to me? Um, and I was, oh, I, I, so coping with that, knowing that everybody else was following my marriage was slightly harder for me because now I've got people that I have no idea who they are dropping me messages like, get back to your wife. Do you cheat? Um, what did you do? Did your ex-wife cheat? You know, it's all this like negative comments that were just being thrown on my face through my DMs, through my messages, and they're asking me that through my live sessions. Hey, tell me about your wife. Tell me about your wife. What happened? What happened between both of you? Um, but at the same time, um, I had more people that came up to me with really positive comments, like, thank you for going through this. Thanks, but I hope you can share this journey with us so we can learn about this. Many people reached out to me, all right, Rach, how do we now get a divorce? How do you deal with this? Um, and that's when I knew that whatever you just mentioned, right, there isn't any out there. When I wanted to get a divorce and I tried Googling for it, I couldn't find any. And it's been like a year since me and my ex-wife have separated and I still don't know how to do it. So in terms of coping, um, it took me a while, a quite, quite, quite a long time because it's not just between me and my ex-wife. It was also between me and everybody else within the community. Um, 
but I'm thankful that I have got my two babies with me. Um, Zeus and Zyla, my two dogs, they're my strength, my everything. And then I have got like amazing, amazing friends and family members. Um, they just stop everything. They were just extremely, just there for me. Um, and that's where I would dedicate like my whole one year to my friends and my family because they are the one that kept me in check. That's awesome. And of course, this is still ongoing in your personal journey and mm -hmm. you still don't have an answer for it. But if I could ask if you have any advice for, let's say, friends and family who happen to have loved ones that are also members of the LGBTQ plus community. And if they are going through what you're going through because you received really great support from your network, like what would you advise friends and family who would like to help out? What would you advise them to do? Presence is key. Right, being there for a person and not saying anything, that's already comfort by itself. Um, and it's something that I practice with my friends and my family members or anyone that's going through anything. When they say that they need me, I'm there, but I'm not going to ask the questions that I want to ask. I'm just going to wait for the other person to be ready to share because when they want to, they will. But the presence of you just being there and just dropping a text, hey, I'm here, I'm here if you need me, let me know if you need a drink. Let me know if you want to go for lunch. Um, because this is the loneliest period of their lives, right? They're confused. They're hurt. They're lonely. Um, and that presence for being there for them um, would, be, would be one of the best periods of their life. Like, they'll be one of, one of the biggest support for them. Um, and can I just push this in, right? And advise everybody else. And someone just gone through this and you know it, try not to get into their pants. <laughs> right um try not to i've had so many it's like so many people that i blocked just because they knew there was something going on between me and my ex-wife like um and then they were trying their luck and to me it's like what is wrong with you and i just blocked them because i think that was that was crossing my boundaries I wonder what they were thinking. Like, why would they even think they had a chance? But I mean, it's just like, they are weirdos everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I mean, zooming out of your personal experience a little bit, right? I'm curious to know the current state of play when it comes to LGBTQ plus representation and acceptance in Singapore. What's the general atmosphere like there? Can LGBTQ plus members be out and proud in Singapore? Yes. Um... I might have my own opinions, other might, others might have their own. Um, but to me, I would say yes, we can be proud and we can be about. Um, like I always tell everyone else, I think the younger generations, they're going to be a reason why the world changes. But I think here in Singapore, everyone minds their own business. Um, they don't really care. I mean, there will be one or two people that might be disrespectful. Um, but it's generally okay for you to be out and open. I never had to hide my partners. I hold my partner's hands. I kiss my partner in public. I, I don't really care because this is just me. Um, but I never really touch wood. But I never really had an experience where someone that I had to feel unsafe. Um, I would personally say Singapore is a very safe country. Um, but at the same time, don't, don't push it too much, right? Because, like, I don't think, don't do things that... You got to you got to have your own boundaries with um with other people, for example. And a very very good example that I can state, and this is something that I practice until today, right, is the fact that when I see a child and when I see a kid, like way younger, um, 
I try not to do that with my partner because I don't think it's my job to expose a kid to that world. Whereas it's the school's job, the society's job, the parents' job to kind of introduce this to them. So that is my boundary that I keep, especially with kids. Yeah. It's a great reminder because for this Pride Month, we also spoke with other LGBTQ plus members from around the world. And a great reminder is that hearing from all of your experiences that even, let's say, for places where there's only a border between them, the experiences for LGBTQ plus communities are like drastically different. And the other question that I want to ask you is that you have your platform, Let's Be Heard. And we did briefly mention the kind of questions and discussions that are going on within the community. I'm wondering what are some of the pressing issues facing the LGBTQ plus community in Singapore or within your community that you want to highlight and address with the work that you do with Let's Be Heard? I think one of, and this is a very important message for me as well as something that I always push to everyone else out there. Um, I think the LGBTQ community feel very pressured to come out. It's probably because people are doing it. The society is doing it. The community is doing it. That They feel that they have to. The longer they wait, they're hiding themselves. My advice to everybody else is no, you are not hiding yourself. You are not disrespecting yourself by not coming out. Coming out does not equal to self-acceptance. Self-acceptance is self-acceptance and coming out is a journey. It's a different, entire different journey. It's about Understanding where you are, it's about asking your question, are you safe? Are you able to do it? Are you financially stable? Why do you have to do it? The coming out question, I've seen many people who came out to their parents without thinking and then there they are, shelter, like they don't have a shelter over their heads. They don't, they're not financially stable. They don't have enough money for food. They don't know where to stay. And even if they're going to stay with their friends, how long can you stay with your friend? The coming out journey is something that should be very sacred. It's And it, it is sacred, but it also has to come along with a lot of decision-making process. Coming out is a decision that you need to make within yourself. And you have to ask those questions which I posted. Are you financially stable? Do you have a shelter after you go out? Are you in a safe space? For example, if you're going to say it out, you're going to come out to someone that you know may be violent. Don't do it in a place where... Nobody else will be there to help you. Do you have a friend that's waiting for you outside the door if that happens? Um, all these things comes in play and it's a conversation that I would push out because more and more young people, they are more themselves now, right? Because back then when I was younger, I didn't have that privilege of knowing what gay was, what lesbian was. But now it's there for the younger generations. It's out there. Uh, more and more people, they're coming out, they're sharing their journey. But they need to know this. They are not being pressured and they should not be pressured. Like you mentioned, a lot of people are coming out on social media. In a way, it just becomes a trend or it makes it sound like, oh, in order to have a proper coming out experience, someone needs to be out about it on social media, be public about it. But you raised a really good point. Even when someone is coming out, they can choose to come out to a small group of people that they feel safe with. They don't need to like let everybody know about their sexual orientation if it doesn't really benefit them mm. or if it means they're going to be in danger, right? So the next thing that I want to ask you about is obviously we know um, when it comes to coming out and the LGBTQ plus community experience, um, 
it just becomes a lot more complicated when Asian cultures are at play. So I'm wondering from your point of view, we know that for Asian cultures, they value being quiet or they don't think the approach of being loud and being expressive is something that resonates with the Asian values, right? Mm. So in your point of view, how can we push for LGBTQ plus acceptance in Asia, given the cultural nuances? Are there still any conversations that need to be normalized? Yes and no. I, I think I will answer your first question first. Um, I think the culture that we have been brought up within like especially in Singapore within that whole Asian culture that's practiced here is mind your own business right um, and that's something that's been taught to us like hey just do you you know you don't have to go and join a community for you to support the community I can just be myself in my own space but still loving myself and still supporting the community um, so it's a, that's a very cultural thing Right. Um, I would not I would not say that people don't want to be in it, but it's it has been a practice for a very long time within the Asian culture itself. Step back, don't get yourself into trouble, don't get too much of attention on yourself. Um, but they're a very big group that wants to change, right? Like, hey, I'm just like I'm this is me. I wanna be out there, I wanna meet more people, I wanna be within the community. Um, and that's okay. So my advice for that is it is totally fine. You might be queer, but that doesn't mean that you have to be out and loud and about. Um, I don't I don't think it has to be a societal thing or a thing that in order for you to be accepted as a gay person or a queer person, you have to be around the community. And I think that that is what many people have that taught around that. Um so I would I would go against that. Like do what you think is right. If you want a community, we are here. We are here and we are a very huge and supportive community. We are here with open, open arms anytime. When you're ready, come to us. Um, but at the same time, to your question of how we can better improve it, um, is definitely by creating the communities that, and making it more visible to, to let known to all the other LGBTQ and queer people, right, that we are here. We are queer and we are ready. Open arms anytime. Um, and that's exactly what I'm also doing. A lot of people who join the community come from my events where are friends of friends of friends. When they know that, that it's a safe space, they have got a place to belong, to know that they can be themselves. But at the same time, I'm not in your face. All right. To give you your time to just come, do your own thing, um, to have that safe space, I think it would encourage people to to, to come out more, to come out and join the community more or let them know that, hey, it's not as it's not always about activism, for example. I think people are afraid of that. I mean, what you just mentioned there is like when it comes to Asian cultures is so interesting in a sense that's like even the concept of mind your own business is something that's quite unfamiliar for a lot of Asian cultures because for all the like Asian aunties, they would just think whatever that's going on in their nieces or nephews lives, it's really like a subject of their dinner conversations or like gossips and all that. And at the same time, it's so interesting that the framework that you're suggesting is like when it comes to the community level, 
more visibility is good for the whole LGBTQ advancement. But when it comes to individual level, they also don't need to be that visible if they do not prefer to, which is a great note to leave our listeners with for this episode. But now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is called Rapid Fires. And in this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some point in life. And in Rachel's case, biased questions people have about lesbians and queer people. So, Rachel, are you ready? Let's go. (laughs) All right. First question. Will you still be open to sleeping with a man? No, thank you. And the next question is, will you be open to a threesome FFM? I need you to explain what FFM means to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> right. So FFM is female, female, and male. So it's threesome between two females and a male. Um, answer is no. No, thank you again. Um, but also to push this forward that this is a very common question um, that I've gotten from couples, from... I don't know, if you're on Tinder, that's exactly what you get, right? Um, I never knew this term called unicorn. Um until like, I went on Tinder and I'm like swiping on these pretty looking chicks and then they have this unicorn icon on their Tinder and then they're like, oh, so are you down for me like to just hook up with me and my husband? I'm like, huh? She's like, didn't you see the unicorn icon that I put there? It should be obvious to you and I didn't know that. So apparently the icon, the unicorn icon meant that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. And for some reason, it's just like a lot of LGBTQ community members, they get a lot of sexual questions in a way like people just have that misconception that members of the LGBTQ plus community are obsessed with sex. Mm-hmm. And the next question, can you just be straight and marry a guy? No. Can you just be gay and marry someone of the same sex? And the next one is... You're probably going to say no also. <laughs> it's, it's just a phase. I think everyone feels that. Um, it could also be because of the bisexual culture, um, which I'll, I'll, I'll bring that out um, itself, that now people think that, for example, they've met someone who was with a woman, for example, but they end up getting married to a guy, um, to have babies and, and, and to buy a house, for example. Um, and I think do all those misconceptions come in and then everyone thinks that, hey, it's going to always happen, right? So I think that's where the face comes in. Um, that's one thing. The second thing is they just want to be adventurous. They want to try something out. Um, it's just a face. But the answer is no, it's not a face. And I will say it's a journey, right? Especially for my bisexual friends. It's a journey for them to connect and find love. It doesn't matter whether they are with someone of the same sex or of the opposite sex. It's a journey, it's not a face. So I always want to strike out that word, it's not a face. And I always push it back to them. It's a journey and it's a choice. It's a journey and it's a choice. It's entirely up to them. Um, so if it's a face too, if it's a face in my life, why does it bother you? And that's very important to bring out that one of our guests from this Pride edition also mentions that he knows some of the gay friends, gay men, they end up marrying a girl and it's not because it was a phase for them, it was because of family pressure, it was because they would be in danger if they chose to continue embracing their sexuality. The next question is, are you the girl or the guy? Yeah, it doesn't work. 
<laughs> we are lesbians for a reason. I would say maybe you could, the term that they can use, okay, this is the educational part that's coming in, right? Something you can use it probably, are you a more dominant person? Um, or is your partner more submissive? Um, so that's different because this dominance and submissive um, term is also used in heterosexual couples. Some heterosexual women, they are more dominant than their male partners, for example. Um, and it also could be that both of them are dominant in a relationship. For example, myself, I am always in a versatile relationship where both of us have our say, we open doors for each other, um, we pay for meals together. It doesn't matter who is more dominant and who is more submissive. Um, mine is about versatility and like sharing and like equality. Right? I'm super on about that. Like I'm all about that. So bringing that back, there are some couples that do answer that question. And this is where I'll bring back, so educational portions of things as well. There are some lesbian women who identifies as lesbian, but really they want to transition into a male gender. And a lot of them, a lot of people, especially in Asia, they don't, okay, not, not in, within Asia, I would say in Singapore, they don't go through with the transitioning. It's difficult, it's expensive, it's hard. All right, how do they now go to our government to change our gender? So what happens then, they just now be within their body itself. And this is body dysphoria, right? Where they want to be a man, right? They want to transition, but they don't. So this question still applies, but this applies to couples who are like that, the dykes and the femmes, for example. A lot of this gets into the whole sex topic again, right? This is the whole sexuality and their body acceptance and how they are going to have their sexual activities with their partner. Um, that plays a big part as well. So that question, I won't, I won't say no to that. Some people still, they're still okay with that question. Like for some lesbian women who wants to transition, who, who wants to transition to being a man and they're with a woman, they now have that very, they have that approach of being the guy in a relationship and they prefer being called him compared to her or them. Um, so it, it, times are changing. That question is still valid but it should not be asked. Or a better way to ask is ask the couple how do they identify themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, you just haven't met a guy you like yet. Mm-hmm. I've met many men in my life. All my close friends are men. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> That's great. All right. Thanks for joining this round of Rapid Bias, Rachel. For us to wrap up the episode, I'm just wondering what's next for Let's Be Heard? Any exciting initiatives and projects that you are working on? Definitely. Um, we are pushing to get out more physical events for all our guests to come to. Um, we are also working on workshops. So we have been doing workshops for a lot of corporate gigs for them to, to deal with crisis comms, how do you deal with, um, for example, how do you deal with LGBTQ folk? Uh, we've been running quite a number of workshops on that. We have been running workshops on consent and boundaries as well. Um, and this is within the workspace. Um, it's not about what can you say or what you can't say, but instead of, right? I think I think that is a real good um, educational portion um, of things that needs to be educated. This is something that I always tell people, right? You cannot expect someone to know what to say. And if they're not saying it right, correct them. You cannot be angry with it because they don't know. 
you have to correct someone when they don't know something or when they're saying it wrong or if they are calling you wrong, if that's not what your pronouns are, stop and correct. It's entirely fine. So those are kind of practice that I've been pushing um, within the corporate gig, uh, the corporate environment itself. Um, I've also, I'm also pushing into a lot of the whole um, queer sexual health and wellness um, workshops that's been going on. So there's this workshop called um, Lesbian Sex 101 that I'm actually conducting um which is really fun because a lot of lesbian women they don't have such a platform or such workshops to get into right um porn doesn't work it's not it's not a guidebook um at all but to me it's about I'm moving more towards the whole women empowerment and it's okay to talk about the taboo topic which is female pleasure um and one thing I like to give heads out to is like all our like most of our some of our pharmacies around Singapore now we have got female sex toys on the shelves so that's that's huge that's amazing and for those who would like to follow the activities and the movement of let's be heard where can they find you guys so um very easily we are on we are really active on Instagram so that is at let's be heard underscore nice Nice. Do check them out if you're curious about joining the activities and workshops if you happen to be in Singapore. And finally, Rachel, I have one last question for you. What does it mean to be proudly lesbian and Asian to you? I think it's about being myself. That sentence actually means to me. It's about being yourself. Um, to me, it doesn't matter whether I'm Asian. It doesn't matter whether I'm lesbian. Um, it's about proudly being myself. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Isabel. That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. Just, just, just.